0: You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at bonecur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R dot And use the code boncoeurcitycast20. You might have already read some reports that a lot of Oregon students are having a hard time reading. We're talking more than 60% of third graders and over half of seventh graders. And this isn't just about academic success because stats say third graders who have trouble reading are significantly less likely to graduate from high school or get a high paying job. They're even more at risk of going to jail later in life. But what if the problem was never with the students or the parents or the teachers? What if the problem is how they were being taught to read? Julia Silverman, who reports on K-12 education for the Oregonian, is with us today, and she's going to help break down why we can't seem to fix this issue and what it's going to take to set up all Portland students for success. It's Thursday, January 19th, 2023. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is CityCast Portland. So, for the person just walking into the room learning about this uh, multi layered issue, how would you explain the gist of the problem of what's wrong with how Oregon's education system
1: is approaching teaching children how to read? So um, generations of parents send their kids off to kindergarten. I've done it myself. It can be a very emotional moment. And one of the things that you assume when your kid heads to kindergarten is that they'll learn to read. It's a basic foundational skill. And without reading and without mastery of reading, you, you have to wait for so much else, right? In general, the assumption is that third grade is that pivot point where kids stop learning to read and they start reading to learn. So that's why this story um, is really focused on the question of early literacy and how it is that kids in kindergarten through second grade are being taught to read in Oregon. So our state is um, a local control state for education, as we are in so many other things, right? But what is local control, real quick? Like, what does that mean? Sure. That means that all of Oregon's 197 school districts get to make their own decisions, essentially, about how to spend the state funding that is allocated to them per student. And on its face, that makes lots of sense, right? Because what kids in Portland need might be really different than what the population of kids in Hermiston or Ontario or Paisley or Klamath Falls needs. Right. Now, the state does offer some guidance in terms of early literacy and and really all other levels of curriculum, right? They are not, however, a mandate. Districts can choose to do what's called an independent adoption, which means they can say, hey, um, we actually think our kids would learn better with these other curriculums and other materials, and we're going to use those. Now, a parallel track to that is that for about the last 20 years or so, brain research has really Solidified around how kids learn to read. Anywhere between sixty to seventy-five percent of kids really need an approach that is based on decoding sounds and words. And uh, you know, this is about like learning how to break apart a word and recognize the sounds that are inside of it. And that's what they're calling shorthand, phonetic, phonics, yeah, phonics, phonemic awareness. The counterweight to this is called whole language or sometimes balanced literacy curriculums. So the idea is that a kid will be motivated by Mm -hmm. exposure to books and conversations about what's in a book and understanding them and and want to learn to read. The New Yorker called this literacy by vibes, right? Or or (laughs) osmosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's what it is because it's also like hopes, a lot of hopes and dreams
0: here about how someone's going to start reading.
1: Sure. And, you know, it's not totally without learning how to sound out words, but that's not necessarily the primary strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are taught to look at the pictures for context clues or to look for familiar words on the page. I remember this actually from when my own children were in kindergarten and first grade at Portland Public School. They used to have flashcards on a a little ring. And once they had memorized 10 of those words, then they could go on to the next 10 words. And it was a big competition in the class to see how far you had gotten on the sight words. So you can teach a kid to decode words and they'll be able to decode all the words you can teach them to memorize a sight word, and they'll know that sight word right? exactly. And that's what they're calling balanced literacy, right? Correct. Like in, when they when they do these debates, it's phonics versus balanced literacy. Correct. So a, a number of districts um, in and across Oregon had adopted a whole language approach, but the issue is that our literacy scores are not terrific. Certainly, I never want to ascribe everything that is wrong to the pandemic. But I do think that it is pretty clear that our prolonged closures have left the state with um, more ground to make up than perhaps other states that were able to return to school buildings earlier. And, And these are Trends that particularly show up for kids who are higher needs, kids of color, special education students are all even further behind um, than others. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the reading experts that I interviewed for my story in the Oregonian said something really interesting. She was talking about how because some kids learn to read with a whole language and balanced literacy approach, the assumption is that all kids should be able to do so. And she's right between about 25 to 40% of kids are going to be able to learn by vibes or by osmosis. Um, I often tell people I have twins raised in the same household, same exposure to books. And um, my son was a balanced literacy or whole language kid. He walked into kindergarten, already knew how to read. The teacher handed him a Magic Treehouse book and was like, go sit in the corner while I try to teach everybody else how to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And his twin sister was a phonics kid, And she needed explicit phonics instruction. And she didn't really read with fluency and comprehension until around about second grade. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, Portland Public Schools, where they were students, was using a whole language or balanced literacy approach. I'm also thinking like kids whose parents don't have time to actually read to them because
0: that's another huge deal is like you have to instill that joy of reading to a child or, Correct. you know, giving them the reasons why it's amazing. But if you just get that in school, you know, X amount of hours a day and then you never see a book again that day, like what?
1: <laughs> that is totally a part of it. And I think, you know, the interesting thing is that none of this has to be all that doctrinaire, right? Like there can be room for joy in all of that, but you also need to be systematically teaching them how to decode words, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, of course, you're right. Kids who don't grow up with like constant exposure to literacy and and to books because their parents are busy or working three jobs or speak a different language or immigrants, exactly, um, are definitely starting at a disadvantage from this. And in fact, this is really a conversation about equity, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you cannot read by the end of third grade studies have shown that like your chances of graduating high school are much less your chances of you know getting a good paying job are much less yeah and I think it's important to note
0: also that the reason why they're saying that you have to be proficient at reading by third grade is at that point your all your lessons are based on reading so then if you can't read you immediately learn helplessness and you start becoming so frustrated that you're just like I hate school
1: And you're ashamed. And that is what happened to um, Grayson Chavez, who is a kid that I profiled in my story, a seventh grader from Beaverton, who just shrank into himself, I think, Mm -hmm. because he really felt that he couldn't read And, And his older brother had gone this summer for an interview at a McMenamins to be a dishwasher. And the manager at the McMenamins handed him the chain's mission statement and was like, here, you know, read this over. Tell me, you know, what you think or what you get out of it. And he couldn't. He couldn't understand it. And he was so upset. And that is not right. For a dishwashing job. Correct.
0: Yeah. Uh, As someone who grew up in a non-English speaking household, I mean, the only reason I learned to read was because of phonics. And I learned to read in kindergarten because of phonics, you know? I just can't imagine how, because I'm just imagining like what my mother would have to do right now if I, for some reason, it it didn't click with me and she couldn't do it. And then she would feel like a failure too. And then it'd just Mm -hmm. be like two
1: people feeling ashamed. Like, you know Grayson Chavez's mom talked a lot about that she was like look we love our teachers we love our school they tried so hard with us but they would say to me like does he have ADHD or yeah. are you reading with him enough for and that wasn't the problem mm-hmm. it just wasn't yeah
0: okay so let's take a little break here and when we come back let's narrow our focus on how portland students are faring specifically your story looks at school statewide. People sometimes they confuse Oregon with Portland. Mm-hmm. But when you're saying school statewide, you're you're talking rural, you're talking, you know, where there are less English
1: speaking individuals. But how are Portland public schools doing specifically? PPS, the largest district in the state, switched over to a science of reading-based curriculum. Or phonics. um, Phonics, right. Completing that this year. Um, But they've been phasing it in, basically, for the last three years. And they have actually credited the switch in curriculum to why their elementary school students' reading and math scores did not dramatically drop during the pandemic. They didn't spike, but they stayed somewhat level. And I wouldn't say they've ascribed... All the credit to the curriculum switch. I mean, of course, they've said our, you know, incredible teachers have gone above and beyond. And Mm -hmm. there are some really wonderful educators in the system. But the district has also been very clear that they believe that their switch in curriculum helped their students to at least, you know, maintain during the difficulties of remote school.
0: So why are districts in Oregon using balanced literacy or whole language instruction over what has been considered like this most equitable approach, which is
1: phonics? Why are they still doing this then? Well, I think it goes back to what I said about local control, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the districts in like East Multnomah County that serve like a highest need population had switched over to a science of reading based curriculum. I... I think part of it has to do with the way teachers are being trained to teach in the state. I don't think that this is a failure of teachers at all. And mm-hmm. I got a lot of response to this story. Lots of people saying, thank you so much. This happened to me. Some people saying you're a horrifying shill for the ph- phonics industry. And some people.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> big, big phonics. Big phonics. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah.
1: it is, you know, that's a whole other story. But um, and some people saying it's all the teacher's fault. And I actually mm-hmm. don't think that's true. I think that teachers really want to help their students. Um, but I think that, like, these are approaches that teachers believe in passionately. If I could give your readers another um, podcast recommendation, this story was inspired by American Public Media's Sold a Story podcast, which is all about this and really does an incredible job of doing a deep dive into this and talks about how whole language imbalance literacy has such a following and inspires such passion among an entire Mm -hmm. generation of educators.
0: Well, what needs to happen to help kids who are behind right now? What's your reporting
1: saying? If I were a parent, I would be on the Which you are. Which I am, that's true. But if I were a parent of children in kindergarten and first grade, and especially if I were the parent of a struggling reader, I think I'd be on the phone to my district, right? I would wanna know like, what reading curriculum are you using what percentage of the day is spent on phonics and phonemic awareness and teaching my kid how to decode words? You know, Do you offer any kind of one-on-one high-frequency tutoring to help with a struggling reader? Because that's another really proven strategy, particularly for kids who are behind after the pandemic. And when is your next literacy curriculum adoption? Because um, a number of districts are right in the middle of that process now. Beaverton is one, Westland Wilsonville is the other. And districts will have like listening sessions to gather information from the community about kind of what you wanna see in a curriculum adoption. I'd get myself to those sessions. Yeah, so basically the parents need to just become more involved. Right. But also, the state is always reluctant to be too prescriptive, um, mm-hmm. even though the largest percentage of our state tax dollars do go toward education, right? State schools advocates are seeking $10.3 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars for education this year. That's a lot of money and there's really not a lot of direction on right. what schools need to do with that money once they get it. Yeah. So, you know, we had the Oregonian had a pretty strongly worded editorial this weekend suggesting that it is time for the state to step up and for the Oregon Department of Education to say, "These are the curriculums that you are required to use." Right. You may you may choose from something on this list. Because now we know what works for the majority of children.
0: And now for your microdose of news. The details are still coming together of top mayoral aide Sam Adams' sudden departure from City Hall. Last week, Adams said he was stepping down from the job because of health issues. Then, a few days later, Mayor Ted Wheeler blew a hole in that story when he said that Adams was forced to resign because he engaged in a pattern of, quote, bullying, and intimidation against women working with him in city government. For those new to Portland politics, Sam Adams was once the mayor of Portland, like over a decade ago, but didn't run for re-election after a scandal in his first term, which involved allegations of having an affair with an underage person. So it was shocking to a lot of people when our current mayor, Ted Wheeler, brought Adams back to City Hall as a top aide. So no, this spat is not a new scandal for Adams. But it does look really bad for Wheeler, who not only brought Adams back but apparently only dismissed him after 17 months of complaints. In other news, the Bendy buses are coming back. TriMet made a big splash last fall when they announced these Caterpillar Green extra-long Bendy buses as part of their effort to speed up service on Division Street. But the agency ended up pulling the entire fleet of 31 buses within only a few weeks of rolling them out because the manufacturer had issued a recall related to steering. And TriMet ultimately did find loose or missing bolts in six of their buses. They will of course all be fixed before they return to service, but the bendy bus is back for all you transpo nerds and bus aficionados. I don't know. There must be some of you. If you want more news, check out our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in our show page. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks again to The Oregonian for letting us share Julia Silverman's reporting. If you want to read updates on her story, you can do so at OregonLive.com. Subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. If you like our show, tell a friend or leave a review. It'll really help us out. Our lead producer is John Notariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monaghan. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back in a few days with more conversations from around the city. Until then, see you at Slims.